Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi guys, welcome back to episode number seven and today I'm joined by Despina Pavlou. Despina is an online coach and certified personal trainer. After being diagnosed with PCOS at the age of 18, she was forced to learn about PCOS and how to overcome it. With a change in her diet and lifestyle, she was able to treat her PCOS and live a happy, healthy and confident life again. She's on a mission to raise awareness about PCOS and also put an end to low calorie and restrictive diets. She believes in the importance of good nutrition and exercise in cultivating a healthy and balanced lifestyle. In this episode, we go over Despina's health journey and how she overcame PCOS naturally. We talk about the importance of nutrition, exercise and stress management when it comes to PCOS. Despina also shares her top takeaway advice from the many months of podcasting with expert guests on her own podcast, PCOS and Nutrition. So I love that Despina has taken her struggles and created a business around PCOS just to help other women like herself. So hi Despina and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited. <laughs> Great, me too. Uh, so I want to dive in straight away because we've got a lot to cover. And I've been on your podcast twice before. So when I thought that I was going to start up my own podcast, I knew that you were going to be one of my first guests. So why don't you start off by sharing your PCOS journey and how you kind of got into the health and wellness space? Sure. So I'll firstly start off explaining what PCOS is, um, just in case anyone doesn't know. Um, So PCOS is an abbreviation for polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it's a condition, it's it's a common disorder affecting 5 to 10% of women of reproductive age, but it could even be more than like above 10% still still not clear because it's very undiagnosed as well um, but it affects women of a reproductive age and to be diagnosed with PCOS you must show two out of the three from the Rotterdam criteria so you have to either show so one would be high androgens two would be polycystic ovaries and the third one would be irregular periods and so you have to show two out of the three. The symptoms that are associated with PCOS are acne, hair loss, hirsutism, which is excess hair growth, infertility, and some you know irregular periods. And there's a lot of other stuff as well, but I'm just going to mention some of them. And uh, if your PCOS is not like diagnosed, it can come with risk factors such as um, if you don't 
find out you have insulin resistance that could lead to type 2 diabetes, depression. But I want to now jump into my kind of story so I can address further the key points that I mentioned. So for most of my teenage years, I never really suffered from any of those um, common usual symptoms that I mentioned, apart from the irregular, somewhat irregular and painful periods, um, as well as some excess hair growth, which made me pretty self-conscious. But so the reason I didn't suffer from many of the common symptoms is because there's different types of PCOS. It was only when I turned 18 years old and when I was going to college, I began noticing that my skin got a little bit more worse. I was suffering from bloating. My energy levels kind of plummeted and my irregular periods became even more irregular. So they went from maybe like nine periods out of the year to like four. So there was something wrong. And it was only, see, I never associated any of these symptoms with a condition that needed medical attention. It was only when I experienced this red rash all over my abdomen and I was like, this this is something weird. But I went to the GP and when you say that you got irregular periods, they kind of think it could be PCOS because that's one of the criteria. So I went and done the necessary tests, which is they ask you um, medical questions from family history, they weigh yourself, they check your blood pressure. So I did a blood test and an ultrasound. Blood test revealed that I had high testosterone and the ultrasound showed that I had quite a lot of cysts on my ovaries. So as I mentioned, you have to have two out of the three from the Rotterdam criteria. So I had three of them. But like I mentioned, you might have high androgens and irregular periods. So you could still have PCOS. You don't have to have the cysts. They kind of have to change the name polycystic ovaries because you don't have to have the cysts. So I ended up the common treatment approach for PCOS is the birth control pill. So Obviously, when you're told the only treatment approach is the birth control pill, you're going to, and it's told by your doctor, someone who you trust, you believe and got your best interest at heart, you're going to obviously go for it. Because number one, I didn't know what PCOS was and I never heard of it. So I was like, sure, if this is going to help me get my periods back, balance my hormones, make me feel better, why not? So when I got diagnosed with PCOS, I kind of felt this sense of relief that I finally found out what was causing all of my problems. But then I was a little bit afraid because I was, you know, scared that what this meant for me, for my future. And obviously one of the key um, symptoms is infertility. So that scared me as well. For me, I kind of wanted to have, I wanted to have kids when I get older. (laughs) But um, so yeah, it was a relief, but I was a bit, scared as well so I went on the birth control pill I was on it for 15 months and those 15 months were the worst 15 months of my life I suffered from a range of um, side effects from the pill such as panic attacks some depression um, depressions mood swings um, I was just literally my whole life got like flipped upside down 
and I just wasn't myself. And the final thing that made me want to come off the birth control pill was actually the swelling of my left calf, which obviously I, that was strange to me, but I didn't know what it was. So as people tend to do when they when they see something wrong, they search on Google, like, what's causing this problem? And then when you type that in, you find that it could be thrombosis, which is like blood clots um, in your legs. So that's a symptom, a side effect of the birth control pill, because birth control pills have, some of them have high estrogens in them. So that's what caused it. And immediately, which may not have been the best decision, I completely came off it. So I, for those of you who might be suffering from some side effects, make sure you consult a doctor before you come off. So just disclaimer there. But I came off it and I also, after a while I decided that, you know, I still need, need help. So I found an endocrinologist who was a specialist in PCOS. So I booked a consult and he wasn't of much help either. He told me that it's perfectly healthy and fine if you have four periods a year. Um, so I was like, okay, I kind of left that consult fee feeling even more like lost and just completely just overwhelmed. It's disheartening, with, I think. Yeah, just it's when, you, yeah. when you think you're getting somewhere with going to a, a court specialist and they, they can't help you, you're just thinking, who's going to help me? What, what exactly. can I do about this? Yeah. If that's the, the best of the best can't help you, then it's not, not a good feeling, to be honest. Exactly. Yeah, so I left that console feeling like I got nowhere and I was like, okay, well, no one's going to help me. These pills don't help. So I need to take my health back into my own hands through studying, researching all the studies and through trial and error. I came up with a plan for myself, for my type of PCOS and just stuck to it. And within six months, I saw an improvement in my energy. My periods came back. They were healthier. I wasn't in pain. It was more regular. And I wasn't suffering from this painful bloating. From eating one meal, I used to be bloated. And I was like, how can this happen? Like after eating anything, I was just bloated. So that obviously went away. And I just felt so much better. So I decided to test my hormones, see the numbers on the paper, even though I felt better, you know, might as well you know, get the results. So I went to get another blood test and an ultrasound and the blood tests showed that my testosterone levels were below average. So that was good. And then the ultrasound showed that I had the num number of cysts reduced, which was a good sign as well. And yeah, after doing all that, I decided to do a PT course to kind of become more qualified because I've always been into fitness and then I decided to pursue helping women with PCOS as well to find out how they can treat their PCOS by getting to the root cause and not going, you know, helping them sift through that information they've gathered just like I did and coming up with a plan for themselves. 
Great. It sounds like an amazing transformation. Obviously, the clients who you're helping and the people you're sharing this information with are getting that extra benefit of you because you've been through this and they can relate to you, you can relate to them. And I think that's just what makes a really great practitioner. And PCOS is multifactorial. That's so complex. And that's one of the reasons why I love working in this area because I I feel like a detective somehow like trying to find the root causes of things and different individual things that people need that are causing or contributing to their problems and how we can address that naturally. So it is multifactorial and that's kind of the beauty of it in my opinion. And over the past couple of years, it has been decided that the title of PCOS is going to be changed maybe in the near future to something maybe like reproductive metabolic disorder something that encompasses it's not just an ovarian problem and you do not have to have cystic ovaries to qualify for a PCOS diagnosis and the term metabolic really needs to be in there somewhere because it is an endocrine metabolic disorder it's not just the cyst on your ovaries that are preventing ovulation it's that there's some underlying metabolic imbalance going on that's leading to those symptoms and leading to the cysts which are actually undeveloped eggs they're not actually growths or tumors that i thought that they were initially and yeah i think that's going to be a really crucial change to the diagnosis in the next couple of years hopefully Mm, hopefully yeah so i've got a similar experience with the pill as well definitely negative effects at first when i started the pill that most suited me i had a terrible experience with the first one but that's a whole nother story And the Yasmin pill that I was on at first, I felt quite good. I felt like my skin was clearing up. My hair was stopping shedding like dramatically like it was before. And I wasn't gaining weight. And my mood was pretty good to start with. But it was over the next couple of years that things slowly started to change. And I just didn't feel right. And I also suffered with the leg cramps and the possible blood clot I'm I'm not sure if it actually was but at the time looking back I think it was something to do with that because of the sheer pain and the the pill that I was on has been linked to like even death with blood clots and things like that so I'm really grateful that nothing happened but I'm on the same page as you that the pill isn't just the solution to PCOS and it is a highly dangerous medication that should be the side effects should be discussed with every woman before starting it and not just the risk of stroke and slight risk of breast cancer that's discussed maybe if your GP told you that but also the other things like the mental health aspects that depression is just a lot more prevalent in women on the pill and hair loss, acne worsening, weight gain, anxiety, digestive upset, all of these things should be discuss with you as well and you should be given that information to give yourself um, the right choice and make sure it's the right thing for you and be fully aware of all the possible negative effects before you actually start that medication. So what do you see are some of the main drivers or contributing factors when it comes to PCOS? You've discussed the role of insulin resistance. Could you just touch a bit more on what insulin resistant actually is and maybe some Um, common symptoms that you may be experiencing with insulin resistance and then touch on some of the other driving factors as well. So yeah, insulin is a hormone made in the pancreas and it's got many roles in the body. However, one of the critical roles is to keep blood sugar levels under control. 
So when cells in the body have, when you become insulin resistant, it's when the cells in the body have difficulty absorbing the glucose in the blood and therefore there's a buildup of sugar in the bloodstream. So that's one of the types of PCOS. And insulin resistance is not only, a lot of people think it's caused solely by poor diet, but it can actually be caused as a result of like poor lifestyle, like lack of sleep as well. So that's something to keep in mind because people often associate it with just eating high carbohydrates, but that's not the only thing. Definitely. With, yeah, with insulin resistance as well, there's been a period of my life where I've been eating really well. I've even been exercising and I've still had issues with insulin resistance because of inflammation. That's a massive driver of insulin resistance because when the receptors of the cell become damaged, that insulin can't lock yeah. onto that cell and transport the glucose through it. And another one is stress as well. Stress can raise our blood sugar. It can cause our body to release blood sugar from its own stores. Therefore, insulin's going to have to be released for that process. Yeah, definitely. Lack of sleep is a stressor on the body as well. And it's believed that even one night of poor quality sleep or sleep deprivation maybe less than five hours even that can reduce insulin sensitivity by up to 33 percent so yeah i just wanted to touch on just how important sleep is and it shouldn't be overlooked exactly yeah but some of the symptoms of insulin resistance can be that constant craving for sugar and carbs you feel fatigued and lethargic frequent um, visits to the, the bathroom you're constantly thirsty. Those are some of the symptoms. So what is insulin resistant PCOS? So it's caused as a result of the high insulin levels. The insulin causes the ovaries to produce an excess amount of testosterone. So while all women have a small amount of testosterone, it's the excess production, the excess amount of testosterone from the ovary that causes the ovulatory problems such as irregular periods and infertility associated with PCOS. Something I want to point out also is that a lot of people associate insulin resistance with obesity and being overweight but you can be lean and have insulin resistant PCOS. Um, I'll go on to the second type of PCOS which is adrenal PCOS. As I mentioned insulin resistant PCOS the ovary releases or produces excess amount of testosterone. The ovaries not only where androgens are released, women with PCOS can have adrenal androgen excess, so androgens are also released from the adrenals. This is caused as a result of too much cortisol being released, which is the primary stress hormone and this is released by the adrenal glands. The stress hormone is triggered as a result of the fight or flight response. So during the fight or flight response, cortisol increases blood sugar, like you mentioned, um, which is the source of energy needed to survive and shuts down anything within the body that is unnecessary, such as your reproductive functions, which is why your period stops. Um, the surge in blood sugar caused by the increase in cortisol also leads to an increase in insulin. So if you're obviously producing, if your blood sugar is constantly high, you're secreting more insulin. This in turn results in elevated cortisol and insulin levels leading to fat storage. Stress causes the adrenal glands to produce cortisol, adrenaline, 
and norepinephrine, along with three androgenous hormones, including DHEA and testosterone. Whenever we talk about stress, people often think it's just you know, the psychological stuff. You have an exam and you're really stressed or you're stuck in traffic and you're going to be late for work. But it's, that's not the only kind of stress on the body. So some of the non-psychological stresses that can raise cortisol levels include over-exercising, chronic dieting, not sleeping well or enough, inflammation, environmental toxins, and autoimmune disease. So those are some. And unfortunately, with this type of PCOS, it goes undiagnosed. And it's commonly misdiagnosed as... Yeah other things so like depression if people are struggling with the moods even though they've got irregular periods and maybe the acne they just separate those things so they'd probably send them to a counsellor or therapist and for the skin they'd be given topical solutions or antibiotics and for the irregular periods they'd be put on the birth control pill so sometimes the doctors just see things as separate issues instead of looking at all the the commonalities within those things and really understanding that these can be as a result of PCOS. Mm, exactly. They always just look at the symptom rather than getting to the root cause. So adrenal PCOS occurs when androgens are released during the stress response um, and are converted to testosterone. So that's a second type of PCOS. And the third type is pill-induced PCOS. So we've touched upon the fact that you get given the birth control pill for PCOS. So the purpose of the birth control pill is to suppress ovulation, but it's given to women with PCOS to get, you know, regain their periods, balance their hormones. But unfortunately, um, the birth control pill is just a band-aid on the problem. It doesn't get to the root cause. It's kind of it basically makes your endocrine glands redundant. It you know, they just say, oh, we're not needed because the birth control pill is giving synthetic hormones to essentially, supposedly, do the job. So when women decide to come off the birth control pill, they find their periods do not return, or they maybe come back after four months, or some women find they come back even longer, so maybe a year or longer than a year. So that's a third type. Also, a uh, hidden cause is hypothyroidism. Often it goes undiagnosed because hypothyroidism and PCOS share similar symptoms like hair loss, fatigue, depression, and weight gain. Hypothyroidism is a condition where the thyroid is underactive. The thyroid is therefore not producing enough of the hormone. And there are different types of hypothyroidism, including low T3 syndrome and Hashimoto's Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune disease where the body attacks the thyroid. With this condition, a low production of thy the thyroid hormone can result in a hormone imbalance. So this is, you know, when you're trying to diagnose your, you know, when you go to a doctor, you need to be armed with this information, know that there's different types of PCOS, so they don't just give you a standardized approach, which is often lose weight, cut carbs, birth control pill you need to know these types and go to them and say all right there's these types how what tests do i need to get done to assess which type i which type i have so you can make some progress 
because like I say, when you go there, they'll just give you the standardized advice. So go there prepared and informed. You have to really stand up for yourself. I've been there as well. I've been with an armful of research papers and things to back me up because once you get in there, it can be quite anxiety provoking or you feel a bit embarrassed maybe or feel like you can't stand up for what you want. So definitely it's really important for us to be our own health advocates because ultimately no one's going to care for your health more than you do. And in order to serve your body the best and to get the right treatment you need to understand which PCOS type that you have and absolutely you can suffer with more than one of these types at, at one time so me personally I had a combination at one point of the post pill pretty much all of them thyroid insulin resistance and adrenals for a doctor to tell me to lose weight or go on the pill this isn't going to address the causes and it's ultimately going to make it worse as well so that's really important. And to find out what PCOS type that you have, you can go down the route of testing. That can be really helpful, either through blood testing from your GP or even functional lab testing with something like the Dutch test, which is a urine hormone based test. And that can look at if your stress levels are contributing and are elevated, or if your androgens are going down the wrong pathway, that are the potent pathways that cause really bad acne and the hair loss on the head, hair growth on the body. And another way to measure and assess your own personal root cause or type of PCOS is to do a timeline. So go back even up to childhood and see what happened in your life, what age you started puberty, because that can be a contributing factor as well. So if you started puberty early, say age 11, it could be due to an increased level of estrogen within your body and that can continue if you don't actually address that whereas if your cycle started later say age 15 16 that tends to be more either thyroid related or androgen related because your body's kind of suppressing ovulation and menstruation at that age so it can help and if there's been a period of your time where your all your symptoms started say after a stressful event age 25 did something happen and then you developed all of these symptoms even though your periods have been normal since you started age 14 so i find that going back in time it can be hard to recollect everything that's happened but maybe over the next couple of weeks just really jot down everything that's happened to you and see what the influences could be and times where your symptoms may be better what what was going on then and times where things really flowed up and were really bad what what was going on in your environment then as well that's what i personally did as well when i wanted to find out what was the cause i looked back at the things that when my symptoms got worse because like i mentioned i never suffered from the usual ones and then when i went to college the symptoms kind of became more prominent and they became worse. So I noticed that when I went to college, I became really stressed. I wasn't, you know, I was really anxious. I wasn't eating very well because I was stressed. I just felt, you know, very overwhelmed with the studying. So I gained weight and I wasn't eating very well. I was emotional eating, overeating. So I kind of looked back and realized it was that period in my life where I was chronically stressed that made me develop because the other thing is with PCOS research is showing it's genetic you're born with it but 
Then again, with the study of epigenetics, it suggests we turn on and off the genetic expression of PCOS. So our environment can trigger our PCOS symptoms. So if you're born with it, it might not develop into PCOS if you don't have those stressful situations. Your diet is not bad because poor diet is a stress on the body as well. Definitely. There's a, a common quote in functional medicine as well that genetics load the gun but it's the environment ultimately that pulls the trigger so that means that even though we all have these genetic variants and things that we're predisposed to these aren't going to express and activate in many of times without the right environment so when people say oh i'm overweight because my parents were i've got bad skin because it runs in the family or my mum had pcos so i'm going to have pcos too that's not true it's probably going to be due to the fact that you're living similar lifestyles eating similar food you've grown up in the same household so unless you've had completely different lifestyles because they take even take twins and they separate them and they're both going to have the same genetic predispositions if they're identical twins however one of them can become obese and develop cancer later in life whereas the other one takes care of the self they can actually reduce the the risk of developing that disease. So it is amazing, and I'm I'm obsessed with the study of epigenetics as well. There was a period of time where people were relating and thinking that the diseases were all due to genetics. It was everything to do with the SNPs. They're all getting the 23andMe test done and seeing what the genetics were saying that they're going to develop in later life, but again i think we got a bit too carried away with that and we've now understood that epigenetics is the thing to be obsessing over and really trying to manage and control our environment as much as we can because obviously living in the 21st century we're going to be exposed to things in the environment all the endocrine disruptors in the in the air and in the food and water but if we can control what goes on in our household that's going to be the best thing really you can't control everything and that can make your stress levels worse if you're thinking that you need to live in a bubble but definitely just controlling what you can eating the best diet that you can most of the time that's going to be the best thing Mm, exactly because even um from the evolutionary perspective women with pieces were favored because in times of stress you know their reproductive functions would you know not work so you don't have kids you develop insulin resistance because you know, you're storing fat so you would last. So all of this stuff is caused by, you know, the stress. So once you manage your stress, you're eating better, these symptoms, you know, reverse. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. That can be the positive kind of spin on things that in the 21st century, we have, we've still got these genes that saved our life in the past. However, because of the modern world, these can sometimes have a negative impact on us but just think that your body's it doesn't make mistakes it's not it's not doing this to work against you it's ultimately an evolutionarily designed thing that protected us and saved our lives and we were the ones who were the survivors and the the caretakers back in the day when everyone else was suffering we were the ones who could go longer times without foods and could care for other people as well so definitely love that positive spin on things Mm. And when it comes to nutrition, I know that it's a big part of 
your belief and what you think is ultimately the the best thing to manage PCOS symptoms. So kind of thinking as food as medicine, your your podcast name is PCOS and nutrition. So do you want to just go over your advice with diet? Is there kind of a general theme that you go for certain things to both include and avoid with women with PCOS or do you find it completely individual? So diet is certainly one of the biggest components when it comes to balancing hormones. Father of medicine Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. It's for sure something everyone should remember and I really believe in the power of nutrition and that food is medicine. I've seen it for myself and I've seen it with my clients. One of the most frequently asked PCOS questions is, what is the best PCOS diet? This is something I found myself asking when I was diagnosed and something I frequently get asked through DMs and on Facebook for emails, and I'm sure you do too. So I tried a bunch of diets, like low carb, I attempted to go on like a keto diet, um, I kind of also tried plant-based. So I basically tried a few things, probably not as much as many other women do, but I've, I've, tried, I've had my fair share of diets. So I kept hearing a lot about the ketogenic diet. Everyone was saying, you know, this is the best diet for PCOS. So while I have nothing against the ketogenic diet, which is predominantly made of fat, about 70% and then 5% of your caloric intake is carbohydrates. So while I have nothing against that, or any or any diet uh, women for P- with PCOS go on, it's the fact that we need to understand, women need to understand that it, there is not one type of pieces, but also we're not all the same. So while the ketogenic diet may be working well for a woman with PCOS, it may not work for you. And just because the ketogenic diet does not work for you, it does not mean your PCOS cannot be treated. It simply means you need to find a new approach. You need to find a diet or a way of eating that's supporting you to help heal your hormones so these diets shouldn't be forced upon us and get disheartened if they do not work it's it's the fact that there's different types of pieces and we're all different so we shouldn't get disheartened at the fact that one approach didn't work or another approach didn't work you have to really figure out the root cause your type of pieces and then work from there because there will be an approach that's right for you and your pieces you just gotta find it find it so i don't believe that there's a best diet you will need to first find out what type of piece you have and then find an approach that's suitable for you but the main factor women with pieces need to focus on rather than finding the best diet is to focus on good nutrition but what does good nutrition mean i remember once i got this question when i was doing an instagram live and someone asked me is nutrition really that important because she said she hears it all the, t- all the time. And my answer was yes, nutrition is really important. But the fact, the thing is, people, when you throw the term good nutrition, people don't really know what good nutrition means. So when I speak about good nutrition, I simply mean following a whole food diet, choosing foods which are minimally processed and are generally free from artificial substances. I believe that a lot of these dieting approaches like keto, like plant-based, they work purely because women with the women with PCOS start to eat better, more healthier. They start switching 
the processed foods for the whole foods they start cooking their own meals they up the good quality foods they increase their fat intake they eat better quality carbs so that's what i truly believe that's why i truly believe that any diet diet approach works so why i don't believe that there's a standardized diet i do believe that there is standardized elements to a peaceless diet what i mean is your diet should be made up of high quality lean protein so make sure you're opting for good quality meat if you if you do eat meat opt for the lean and high quality meat grass-fed meat is often organic so naturally lean and has not been exposed to many artificial hormones and high levels of antibiotics that standard meat has grass-fed meat contains more omega-3 than grain-fed meat grain feeding causes the meat to lose its omega-3 content and high omega-3 content in grass-fed beef might be more anti-inflammatory than conventional grain-fed beef also make sure you're including plenty of vegetables and fruit so with vegetables opt for starchy root vegetables like sweet potatoes also green leafy vegetables they have anti-inflammatory properties and they are high in magnesium and have a low glycemic index research has identified including one serving a day of green leafy vegetables lowered the risk of diabetes by nine percent i know a lot of people don't really enjoy the taste of vegetables but i mean with such results and you know you just you don't want to pass it up just finding ways to include it whether it's the way you cook it whether it's the way you season it anything you just find ways that you can incorporate it into your diet and you'll reap the benefits with fruit a lot of women obviously when you think of fruit you think sugar but this is different Fruit is a great source of fiber, vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. Women with pieces often try and avoid fruit due to its high sugar content, which can cause a spike in blood sugar levels and insulin. However, fruits also contain vital nutrients to manage PCOS. So here's the thing, fructose sugar, which is found in fruits, does not have the same effect on the body as processed sugar. The soluble fiber found in fruits slows the release of sugar. And fruits also have phytonutrients that can block the transportation of sugar through the intestinal wall into our bloodstream. So as a result of the antioxidants and fibre found in fruit, the blood sugar spike is not the same as consuming pure sugar. So women with pituitaries can opt for lower glycemic index fruits in order to further manage their blood sugar and insulin levels so for example low GI fruits include cherries grapefruit pears apples oranges plums strawberries those are just some of the examples of low GI fruits and lastly include healthy fats such as salmon which is a great source of omega-3 fatty acids which has anti-inflammatory properties you want to be choosing foods that are not inflammatory for example inflammatory foods include dairy gluten and like we all know sugar so these are the three things i tend to stray away from but you need to be opting including more anti-inflammatory foods into your diet and reducing these inflammatory foods because for many inflammations there's an under underlying inflammation within the body with pcos so you want to be supporting your body by reducing that inflammation so it's important including these fats into your pieces diet to help support the healing process and the balancing of your hormones 
just like there are different types of carbohydrates there are different types of fat and it's these kinds of fats like the omega-3 fatty acids which are the good type of fat that help heal your body so don't stray away from fat so yeah those are just some of the guidelines i tend to recommend and follow for a pcos diet yeah we are getting better with our intake of healthy fat so we're not so much afraid of it as we were say in the 80s but i still see women with pcos have that bit of fear or they're a bit nervous about increasing the fat because we're so used to thinking of it as clogging our arteries and being highly calorific and if you're already struggling with your weight you're probably not going to want to eat a lot of fat even though it's healthy and we're repeatedly told these days about the benefits it can still be a bit of a mindset challenge for women struggling with the weight especially as compared to the lean type of pcos yeah and it's Um, the same people are afraid of fat but also carbs which is okay like with keto people follow it and they do well but with a there's the other spectrum plant-based diet which is you know predominantly carbs and studies show that your insulin resistance goes and your insulin sensitivity increases so it's not necessarily that carbs are bad because carbs aren't created equally it's about choosing the better carb sources yeah exactly and i have people come to me who are probably in the typical western diet and they want to go straight into keto or low carb but i kind of have to stop them and just remind them that i just want to change them to a healthy diet to begin with and nutrient dense foods cutting out the refined sugars and trans fats before we even consider changing the macronutrients or going into a ketogenic diet and taking lots of supplements it really does start with the foundations and when it comes to carbs as well, it's not just the quantity. Like you said, quality really matters and the types of carbohydrates is really important. So if someone's just counting how many carbs that they're having, they could be eating the quickly absorbed ones, the ones that are going to spike your insulin levels. Plus different carbs have different reactions within the body. So a banana, for example, could work great for you and could keep your blood sugar levels fairly stable, whereas in me, they really spike my blood sugar. So it's individual for everyone, the reaction that the body has to the carb and also the quality and the quantity of the carbohydrate as well. Mm. So that's why it's just about finding what's best for you because we're all individual. You have to follow a personalised approach. So... I mean, like you mentioned that when people come to you, they try and, you know, go to one kind of extreme. It's better to just start simple, follow a whole food diet, get your nutrient dense foods in rather than just, you know, jumping from keto or going low carb. It doesn't need to be done. Make small changes and then you're able to see changes happening. Exactly. Those things may not even be necessary and they could be causing just extra stress and yeah, the stress on the body from trying those things out when they just need to start with the foundations to make sure they're sleeping because if they're on a ketogenic diet and they're still stressed out the mind and over exercising, that then they're not actually going to get into that fat burning state anyway. So all of that effort's going to be lost and the body's not going to be able to 
reduce their insulin levels and kind of re reverse the symptoms because they're just constantly keeping the blood sugar high with all the stress that they're under. Exactly. So shifting gears a bit, I just want to touch a bit on lifestyle now. So I know that you're a qualified PT. Have you seen exercise or fitness play an integral role in healing your PCOS symptoms? Yeah, for sure. So like we mentioned that there's different types of PCOS, there's different exercise programs or workouts that would be better suited for your type of PCOS. So I'm going to start off with insulin resistant PCOS and touch on the two exercises that research has shown to be better for that type. So the first one is resistance training. Resistance training is any exercise that causes the muscles to contract in turn resulting in increased muscle mass, strength and endurance. So one of the benefits of um, resistance training for insulin resistance is that it reduces insulin resistance. While any type of training is great for insulin resistance, studies have found that having more muscle increases your overall demand for energy. A study found that each 10% increase in muscle was associated with an 11% relative reduction in insulin resistance. So research suggests that muscle mass can effectively increase glucose storage facilitate glucose clearance from the circulation and reduce the amount of insulin required to maintain a normal, normal glucose tolerance. So in addition to the reduction in insulin resistance, it helps reduce testosterone, which is obviously another huge characteristic of PCOS. So a lot of women are afraid to lift weights because they think they're going to get bulky, but that's just not the truth. It has these tremendous benefits, so you shouldn't be um, feared or strayed away from because you think you're gonna you're gonna look like a man. We just don't have enough testosterone to to build muscle like men, so that shouldn't be an excuse. The second type of exercise that which is great for insulin resistance is high intensity interval training. Hit training, hit. So, it's this. It hit training is a vigorous form of exercise which involves full bursts of energy along with a short or active recovery period. Researchers found that hit completed over the course of ten weeks improved insulin resistance. A further study examining the effects of hit on women with insulin resistance and PCOS found that after 12 weeks of HIT cardio undertaken three times a week resulted in a reduction in waist and hip circumference. High intensity interval training increases insulin sensitivity as a result of the body expending glucose and then allowing blood glucose to enter the muscle cells. This in turn helps to lower the risk of developing diabetes. So the fact that it's also, um, you know, a, a characteristic of insulin resistance is the um, a wider waist and hip circumference. So these, you know, results are promising. So it's something that, you know, these two 
um, workouts should be included into your program. But I recommend that HIT shouldn't be, you know, overdone just because it's a great form. It can be, you know, you can overdo it. So I kind of recommend anywhere between two and three times a week and resistance training, even if you do three times a week, it's great, but you could do more, but just high the interval training can be a huge stress on the body. Um, Especially if you're dealing with the adrenal type or the sex that's stress in your life. So if you're up at six o'clock in the morning to go to work and you're maybe got kids or your job's really stressful and you're not sleeping well at that moment in time, that's not the, the time to go to the HIT class. You're going to want to stick with the maybe stress relieving yoga, walking or stick with the strength training that's not going to get you too sweaty or get your heart rate up too high. But again, if you're someone who's has a sedentary job or just not, not an active lifestyle and life stresses are relatively low, you can get away with more of the hit training than the other person and when we say hit it should be a short period bursts of exercise not a 30 60 minute class because that's not hit that's just chronic cardio and that's just gonna give you more harmful effects than benefits so when people are saying that they're doing either six days a week doing a hit class or they're doing a 45 minute hit class then i just tell them that they need to stop that or reduce it completely because it's not gonna not gonna benefit you it's just gonna create more cortisol and then the cortisol is gonna affect your ability to burn fat and affect your hormones as well yeah i think the combination of strength training and the hit training is just works wonders for women with pcos exactly you know, if you suffer from adrenal PCOS, this is something, hit training is something you shouldn't really be doing. So if you're struggling with fatigue or you feel tired after training, you may have to adjust or cut down on your workouts and their intensity. Endurance and intense exercise cause the body to produce increased amounts of cortisol, as you mentioned. Something a lot of people wonder as well is if I'm not doing hit training, if I'm not, you know, really going full in and getting a sweat then how am I going to lose weight and you know it might seem counterproductive but what happens when you reduce your intensity and your exercise um, frequency is that the weight actually starts coming off due to a decrease in your cortisol levels so you know don't panic no one's telling you to completely put it into your exercise program. Low intensity exercise does not result in a significant increase in cortisol levels. Instead, it reduces circulating cortisol levels. So therefore aim to include more low intensity exercise into your workout routine, such as walking, yoga, and swimming. Walking is certainly underrated when it comes to, as in like something that could be exercise and helps mental well-being as well. So don't, you know, push walking as it's just for like old people or something it's not it's for everyone (laughs) yeah people think if they're not killing it at the gym and feeling like they're gonna die every time they go that they're not training hard enough or training Mm. right but definitely walking is one of the the best things that you can do for any type of pcos it's not just for the adrenal stress type anyone with either insulin resistant or the inflammatory pulse pill type uh, is going to benefit from walking because we're designed as humans to walk 
Whereas running on treadmill for 50 minutes every day, that's not natural. And our body perceives that as a threat and like our life's in danger because 10,000 years ago, if we were running like that, that would mean that we're either being chased or we're running from something and uh, yeah, life would be in danger. So the act of walking actually reduces cortisol. It provides dopamine, getting outside walking specifically on a treadmill is fine. But if you can combine that with getting outdoors as well and getting some vitamin D when the, when the weather's right and getting into nature, you're going to get your mindfulness. You're going to get your um, nature exposure. You're going to get your vitamin D and your stress reduction and your exercising for the day as well. And I think muscle is really important. That should be the goal ultimately when it comes to fitness. So definitely we're not going to get bulky like you see in the fitness competitions because they're dedicating their lives to that and they're on these restricted diets, maybe some steroid use. And yeah, it's just not what's going to happen. Even though women with PCOS do have extra testosterone and androgen levels, we can build muscle more easily and we can develop strength more easily because of that but it's nowhere near the level that men reach so we're never going to look like they do basically that's a common fear that i see and that's what kind of puts women off strength training but trust me you're going to get the physique that you want and get that toned look and you're going to burn the belly fat off that can commonly be um, a symptom because that's where we store most of our weight as with pcos or in the abdomen because there's three times as more cortisol receptors in that area than anywhere else in the body. So if our body's stressed in any way and if the hormones are in balance, that's where it's going to go first to protect the vital organs that are in that area. It's just a, a protective mechanism from the body. Mm, yep. And how commonly do you see overtraining and how can you how does that relate and worsen PCOS symptoms? So exercise has been shown to lower inflammation but the thing is with over exercising it can cause even more inflammation because exercise is a stress on the body so if you don't let your body rest and recover then that inflammation isn't gonna reduce so you have people have to realize that exercise is great if you can exercise every day that's awesome but understand that you can over exercise and you can be making your piece of symptoms worse if you're not following a program that it's specific to your type and you're not in tune with your body. Because I remember I used to exercise way too much. I used to think I had to be in the gym for three hours. I had to, you know, do all these exercises. But when I dialed it down and listened to my body was in tune, all the symptoms, you know, kind of reversed. I felt so much better. So you need to take you need to re, um, take rest days. Don't think rest days are for the weak and oh, I don't you know I'm strong enough. I can fight through the pain. It's not about pain. It's literally your body needs time where you're not putting stress on it. It's just the way it recovers it, the way it heals. So definitely you know keep the, that um, thing in mind that you need rest days and just time to relax because you can overexercise and make your PCOS worse. It can be too much of a good thing as with anything, even drinking too much water can kill you. So 
it's all about how your body's reacting to it and again if you've got tons of extra stress in your life you're not going to be able to tolerate the extra stressor of the exercise even though it's a good stress it still adds to the bucket and can definitely tip you over and just make things 10 times worse and I've noticed myself when either I've done a really intense gym class um, I remember doing a fasted hit class that was 30 minutes and was really intense and the next couple of days I got really bad cystic acne and I think it was the combination of being fasted and pushing myself to the limit and then my body just kind of rebelled against that because mm. of the cortisol release and also your body if it's fasted it can cause the hormones to uh, pump out testosterone as well so fasted exercise may be suitable for you but for me personally it kind of causes a spike in testosterone and it's important to also refuel after your workout as soon as you do a workout try to get a really good balanced meal within 60 minutes of that because it doesn't have to be immediately you see these people chugging protein shakes 10 minutes after they finish working out and it, it can be beneficial in that window but as long as you get a really good balance of macronutrients within an hour that can be really helpful because if we fast or we don't eat the correct balance of foods after that can cause our testosterone and growth hormones to stay elevated and that's not a good thing for women with PCOS that's, and, that's really funny actually the fact that <laughs> after your gym session I see people with their yeah. protein shakes I'm like you're not going to go catabolic you're not going to start eating your muscles it's yeah just, they've got to get those gains <laughs> <laughs> definitely overtraining is a big factor and I know that women are trying to do what they think's right by limiting the diet and exercising a lot more and they kind of do those things at the same time so they immediately cut the diet down and do a restricted diet and exercise so that just makes the stress even more um, stressful and personally for me over exercising was one of the first kind of triggers of my PCOS so I was also under fueling and over exercising I was doing two workouts a day five six days a week and not nourishing my body and fueling it correctly even though I didn't know I had PCOS then I wasn't happy with my body so I was trying to manipulate that at the gym and when you when you start to lose weight it kind of gets addictive and you feel you're getting all these compliments so that can really cause a downward spiral it's the same exact thing with me when I was diagnosed and I was told you know lose weight I went chronically low calorie and I was over exercising and you know I lost weight but the thing is I actually developed an eating disorder so I didn't know the thing is back then I didn't know what I knew now what I know now so now that I look back and I'm like I wasn't eating enough food I wasn't nourishing my body because I was going low fat low carb low everything like you kind of you look back and you're like that really didn't help. That kind of made problems seriously worse. So make sure you're nourishing your body and eating enough food. It's not just about what food, it's about eating enough of it as well because I think we're constantly obsessed with weight loss and eating low calorie, but it's all about changing that traditional approach of eat more, eat less and exercise more and flipping it to eat more exercise less it's completely you know you have to change that mindset and approach because that old traditional one 
it's not going to help banish your hormones at all. Yeah, absolutely. And it's still, that's what's been told from our doctors and our GPs just to simply do that and we'll be fine. All of our problems will be fixed. But as we all know, that doesn't work, not just for women with PCOS, but people with thyroid problems and metabolic mayhem, it's not going to happen. When it comes to calories, it's not just about the quantity, like you said, but it's also about the quality. And I'm not into calorie counting at all because food elicits a different response hormonally in our body. And I commonly see people who think that they're eating well because they're eating like clean whole foods, they're eating salads and soups and just lean protein. But when we put the calories into maybe like a tracking system for a couple of days, it turns out they're eating like 800 calories or 1200 calories which is not enough fuel but they feel because they're eating a ton of vegetables and eating Mm. like a clean either keto or vegan diet that the they think that they're fueling the body because they are eating the right foods but just not enough to fuel the the daily habits and especially if they're exercising that's going to increase dramatically Mm, exactly So after your many months of podcasting now, what would be the biggest takeaway that you've gotten from interviewing all the experts and guests on your podcast? Would there be one one takeaway that you want to share with us all? Um, I don't, there is probably one, there's kind of a few, but I guess the biggest one is make sure you get to the root cause of your PCOS make sure you find someone who understands is and is knowledgeable in PCOS so that you know you have like a team and a support system so you don't make you know the same mistakes I did when it comes to treating it and that you actually get to the root cause you don't focus on treating a symptom and take the personalized approach where you're not like I said, following one specific diet or, you know, keto, like we said, it can work or any other extreme, just make sure you're getting to the root cause, understand that you're different to someone else and that you, you know, if you're making all the changes to your diet and your lifestyle, you're eating better, you're eating more, you're sleeping better, you're managing your stress, you're, you know, exercising. If you're doing all this, then you're going to see changes. You just have to be patient and it's going to ha- happen. Just be consistent, patient. It's, everything's going to happen. Just don't kind of get in your head because one huge thing is that I really believe in, you know, I kind of help people with their mindset along with the lifestyle and diet changes. It's all about mindset as well because we feel like if we don't see something happen in a month, or even two months, we kind of think, well, I'm just going to give up. Nothing's happening. But you have to have that mindset where it's going to happen. Just be patient. Don't don't get too in your head. Just stay positive as well. I think mindset's really huge. Yeah, that's really important. And absolutely, it can feel frustrating. It can feel like things are just never going to change in the moment. But it's a process and hormones take a minimum of three months to be created and developed and processed. So what you do three months, what you did three months ago is affecting your period and your current symptoms at this moment in time. So 
it's going to be a minimum of three months, but you're looking on average probably six to 12 months of consistency and dedication and just just providing your body with the resources it needs because I, I fully believe that when the body's in the right environment and you're giving it all the resources and building blocks, it can, it can recover, it can heal from hormone disorders and other conditions when it's in the right environment, like I said, because of that epigenetic switch. So I want to finish up with just a few fun questions just so the people listening can get to know you a little bit better. So the first one would be, what did you have for breakfast this morning? This morning I had a coconut yogurt, so dairy-free with apple and some almonds. And what is your morning routine if you have one? So from the moment you wake up, what time do you wake up and what do you usually do within the first couple of hours of your day? So I try and wake up anywhere between six and eight. And the first thing I do is actually I have a book on my bedside table. So as soon as I get up, I read for about half an hour because I wake up a bit early. It's not super early, but I don't have an appetite to eat food. So I would actually not eat until about, I don't know, 10, 10.30. So what I do after reading my book is I say some positive affirmations to get myself all psyched up and motivated for the day. And then, you know, after you do that, I kind of also do my bed, obviously, get that out of the way. <laughs> that's like <laughs> one task that's like ticked off. I need then, to start doing that this year. I'm really bad at that. It needs to be one of my resolutions, definitely. <laughs> it just kind of, you know, when you tick it off your list, you're like, okay, one thing down. <laughs> yeah, you feel like your life's together when your bed's made. <laughs> yeah. So then I do some work for about two, three hours until I get hungry and then I go and have breakfast and then my breakfast options kind of, I circulate around different breakfasts and then I can make, make a hot beverage and then get back to work. But yeah, that's my morning routine. Not Great, really so you definitely, you listen to your body with your hunger signals. I think that's really important because if we're eating a huge meal just because it's the right time and just because exactly. that's what we're used to your body's not yeah. going to process that and a lot of people when you say they think breakfast is as soon as you wake up but breakfast is you're breaking the fast so that's just the first meal where you're breaking your fast from where you're sleeping for how many however many hours you're sleeping it's just the first meal you eat doesn't exactly. have to be in the morning or as soon as you open your eyes it just doesn't work like that even though that can be really helpful for people with adrenal issues just side note if you're really fatigued in the morning and just have low cortisol levels that meal within 30 minutes can be really useful but for everyone else yeah just mm -hmm. listen to your body and if you're not hungry if that's only a recent thing that could be due to maybe some health symptoms or some imbalances going on but if you've always been like that and you just feel better when you leave it a little bit, definitely go with that and listen to your body. That's really good advice. Mm. Next question is, what is the one herb, nutrient or food or supplement that you would take to a desert island? Um, supplement would be, I like magnesium. I think everyone should be taking magnesium. A lot of people are actually deficient in it. And when you're constantly stressed, you're depleting your body of magnesium so and also with if someone for someone who constantly eats sugar which it shouldn't be with PCOS but you're you're kind of depleting your body of magnesium there so 
definitely magnesium. I think it's great. Yeah, I love magnesium too. It's one of my favourite favorite minerals. It's the chill pill. It's the anti-anxiety nutrient and can be really helpful for women with PCOS. It can help with improving insulin sensitivity and again, lowering that cortisol level. So if you've got the insulin type or the stress type, that can be a really useful supplement, but always go with food first as well. So your leafy greens, your cacao, nuts and seeds. But I find that magnesium is probably one of the only nutrients that I'd recommend supplementing with for pretty much anyone, depending on the medication that you're on. But it's one of the exceptions to my rule of not recommended supplements without knowing everything else that's going on but because the soil's so depleted and because we're living in this 21st century lifestyle we are likely all depleted in magnesium along with vitamin d as well that's another another big one Mm. that's true like a lot of people um think they need to take every single supplement under the sun but taking every single supplement number one it might not even be helping you on it might be making things worse so don't because i see a lot of people on instagram they take photos of like a handful of supplements i'm like do you need all of those <laughs> like exactly we don't want people copying what they're taking so if they're saying they're taking that for the pcos that doesn't mean you should be taking that as well because hopefully in an ideal world that would have been recommended by a health practitioner and mm-hmm. it's not just something they've seen off someone else and it's kind of just everyone's just copying each other and no one's actually personalizing the nutrients to their own body and other health conditions that they're struggling with. So if you've also got hypothyroidism and autoimmune conditions and gut health problems, some of these supplements might be making it worse or could be contraindicated with other conditions or medications that you're on. What's something that you're into lately? This can be health related or it can be completely random, just something that you're into and just enjoying at the moment so at the moment i'm just into reading these positive mindset self-development books just sometimes you get in your own head and it's just good to have a positive outlook on life it keeps you motivated it inspires you so that's kind of my thing at the moment me too my bookshelf's just overflowing with positive self-development books and yeah, growth mindset spirituality so and my amazon uh, reading list is just packed as well and finally how can people get in touch with you if they loved your interview and want to learn more about how you work and also your podcast can you let us know where to find you online all right so i'm basically on all social media platforms but the ones i'm predominantly and active on is instagram so my handle is at pieces underscore nutrition facebook is pieces and nutrition youtube's pieces and nutrition and podcast is also pieces and nutrition and obviously my website is pieces and nutrition.com and i'll definitely include all of those links in the show notes as well So I want to thank you, Despina, for your time. And I definitely recommend everyone who enjoyed this podcast to follow Despina on social media and also check out her podcast because it's got tons of free information from some of the leading guests and experts in the field. So thank you, Despina, for your time. And I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. 
If you like this episode, please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. As a massive thank you gift, I'll send you a free guide, Six Steps to Hormonal Harmony. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review, then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next steps to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.